If I were a rich man. And if you're anything like me, when you hear those words, you had to pause for a second because they started to come back into your mind with a melody that sounded a little bit like this guy. Because every time I said that phrase, that's what happened. If I were a rich man, that's how it would go. Every single time I read that in the text, every single time I thought about it. In fact, I had to watch the whole song again. I'm not going to play that for you right now. But that's what was going on in my mind. Tevya, 1905, Anatevka, Ukraine area, and a Jewish section of people that are guided by tradition. The other song that starts rolling through your mind, right? But it was an interesting question. If I were a rich man, in his song, if he was a rich man, his wife would have a proper double chin. That was the first part that came out. She would be uh, directing exquisite meals and uh, guiding servants through the marketplace. He would have time on his hands to read scripture debate the word of God with those that uh, he didn't have time for at that moment because he was a milkman. And people would come to him wanting questions answered. And he said, it didn't matter if I knew the answer because when you're rich, everybody thinks you know. I know, it was great. But the question still remains, if I were a rich man. And if you haven't seen that, maybe your mind goes to this guy. Because when I play this game... It kind of ends up the same way. The goal, as far as my goal, get boardwalk and park place, put hotels on them, and watch everybody cry. Because that is the fun of Monopoly, right? You don't share in Monopoly. You buy stuff. You trade stuff. You get, you gain, you hold on to, and you make sure that nobody else has an opportunity to get the same stuff because you take what's theirs. That's kind of our, our culture. This is what we see each day. This is what is advertised to us all the time. This is what we're told, that what you have isn't quite good enough, and what you need might just be outside of your reach, but we can make that happen as well. There's, there's an uh, insatiableness. There's a word that came up a couple times in the readings, coveting, covetousness. Another way to translate that is insatiableness. An unending want or desire. And I, I think if you were to talk to anybody who you may deem as rich, they would say, no, I'm not rich. There's more to be had. There's more that I could get. There's a movie we watched the other night. It's called Instant Family. It's a really interesting movie about fostering and adoption. And in that moment, there's a foster a uh, set of parents that bring in a family of three children, a 14-year-old and a 11 and a 6 or something like that. But uh, it's a foster family. It's three siblings. It's two sisters and a brother. They walk in with a backpack and a hefty bag with all their stuff in it, and they show up right around Christmas time. And one of the kids said, Wow, are you guys rich? And the immediate answer from the parents was, no, 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 we're not rich. We're not rich. No, their house was impeccable. They had a full tree with full presents underneath. And the next question by the youngest was, does Santa come here every year? If I were a rich man, we generally look right past it and say, no, I'm not rich. I'm doing okay. I'm not rich. 
other interesting stuff as I started to ponder this question. From 1967 to 1997 in the United States, there was a huge boom in a particular segment of the market sector, self-storage. It multiplied 20 times in 30 years. 20 times more self-storage was needed in 1997 than what was needed in 1967. On average, for each person in the United States, there's a little over five cubic feet of self-storage. That's outside of what you may have in a house. Now, not all of that is greed and holding on to. A lot of it is because people get displaced, um, because of separations, because of uh, all kinds of different reasons. So there's an absolute need for it. But the other interesting thing, in that market sector, between 90 and 100% of that space is filled. Think about that for a second. A multiplication of 20 times, and yet 90 to 100% of that space is filled. That's amazing. And like I said, I know there's good need for it at some times, but sometimes maybe there's just a little too much stuff. And we have to pay people to watch over our stuff. That's another interesting thought, isn't it? Hmm. So if I were a rich man. We know what the culture points to as rich. We know what we're guided to as far as being rich. And I'm not calling you the rich fool in the parable. Because I know that your hearts are different. You're here. You have hearts that have been shaped by God. You have hearts that have been shaped in a way to where you see the riches of God, the grace and the mercy that he pours out over you, and you share things. If you didn't, this building wouldn't be full of people. If you didn't, we wouldn't be meeting here. But you do. But see, it's because you know that life doesn't consist of possessions. And that's what Jesus was getting to when the man came to him and he said, Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, we talk a lot about context. Prior to that, Jesus has just been talking about how eternal life comes from God through him, and he's been talking about the blessings and grace of mercy of God and the dangers of being separate from God. So this guy says, that guy speaks with authority. He should tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Kind of missed the point. And so Jesus' answer, I think, is great. He says, not what I do. Okay, he said it with different words. Man, who made me an arbitrator, a, a decider, a judge over your situation? No, you missed the point. That's not what I've been talking about. That's not what life consists of. And then he gets a, gives a good story, right? A very simple, a very clear story about bowls and candy. Well, in Susie's situation, about bulls and candy, about barns and wheat, uh, you know. And so this guy is sitting along, he's tended a field, he's tilled the field, he's planted the seed, and he sits back and bounteous harvest comes out of it. I love the fact that it had to do with something that the man had no control over. You can get a field ready, but you can't control how much is going to grow. For all of those that are ever had a hand in agriculture or currently work with water or grapes or coffee, whatever it is that's growing in the area around here, you know year after year things are different. You can have a year where there's just a ton of harvest. 
And the next year, you farm it exactly the same, and you get a third the amount of harvest. So this guy has bounteous stuff. He, he starts to have a conversation with himself, which, by the way, is another dangerous thing. If you solely have conversations with yourself, you need to remember that you need to involve somebody else in that conversation. Even if they're not present at the time, it at least helps you work through it with somebody else. God's a good one to involve in that conversation, by the way. But this guy says, what do I do? I got too much. Let me get a storage facility. So I'm going to build a big storage facility. I'm going to build a bigger barn to hold all of my stuff. I'm not really going to think about the people that are around. I'm not going to think about the people that maybe had pestilence come through their area. I'm not going to think about the people that couldn't afford anything. I'm not going to think about all those people. I'm going to just build bigger stuff or a bigger barn to hold all my stuff. And he puts it all in there. And then the next conversation he has is not just with himself. He says, soul, now it's getting deep. Soul, now we can relax. Now we can retire easy. Now we are comfortable. We got enough stuff that we can sell off over the next little while to where we can eat, drink, be merry, and just relax. And then he dies. That's the parable, right? God poses the question. Now what's all your stuff for? Who gets it? Right? Doesn't matter anymore. Life doesn't consist of that stuff. He says those that are rich need to be rich towards God. So what does it look like to be rich towards God? It looks like this guy. Not that guy. This next guy. It looks like that guy. Does he look well off to you? Does he look like he's holding himself maybe a little funny because he might be a little bit disabled? Yeah. There's a guy in India that I met. I have no idea what his name is, and I have no idea what he told me. <laughs> I heard from some of his friends, one of the guys that was there with me, this is a man that had worked hard when he was young. He was maybe 10 years older than me at the time, and this was two years ago. He had worked hard. He had become disabled in his hands. He couldn't use his hands quite the same way. He couldn't do work quite the same way. He couldn't lay brick quite the same way. He couldn't do the construction that he kind of knew how to do quite the same way. And so all of a sudden, he was worthless in the community. He became part of a sect that couldn't earn their own keep, and so he just begged. Now, he was part of a church family, and the reason he's all wet is because he had just been baptized. And so we had been part of this little church. It's in a northern area, kind of northwestern area, not northern India. So it was central India, but kind of to the west a little bit, out amongst the trees, out amongst an area where there isn't consistent power, in and amongst an area where if women wanted to do textile work and sewing work, it was all foot treadle machines because the power wasn't consistent enough to have electricity. And so this guy was there. And it was beautiful. You watch him enter into this baptismal font and in the local dialect, walk through the Apostles' Creed. A couple of prayers are said. He goes under the water and he wa comes up out of that water, a rich man. In the same way that you're rich. In the same way that God's blessings have been poured into your life through baptism. He stands there as rich as any of us. And then just after this, there were a few others that were involved. And so we stood and we prayed over them. There's a group there, Aiden, if you don't mind moving over to them. 
there was a whole group. There were a few ladies, there were a few guys, there were a few youth, and there were about seven or eight of them that were baptized that morning. This lady's story here in the royal blue purple was beautiful. She stood at that baptismal font, and they had a little bit of a conversation, and she walked to the edge of the font, she pulled a little red dot off of her forehead and threw it on the ground. And then she stepped back, and they walked through the Apostles' Creed. She went under the water, came back up, as rich as any of you. What I didn't realize in that moment was that she was disowning every bit of Hindu heritage, every bit of what her nation could do for her, every bit of lineage that had come through and every blessing that the state was going to give her. She handed it away and said, no, there's a new family that I'm a part of. There's a new family that is guided by God. There's a new family cared for by God, and I'm rich because of what he gives, not because of what the state was going to give around me. Faith, grace, mercy, forgiveness poured out over her in baptism that shapes her for the rest of eternal life. If I were a rich man, you are rich. You are rich in so many ways that are never advertised. You are rich in so many ways that can't be held in storage facilities. You are rich in so many amazing ways that God has given you forgiveness for you through Christ. Life for you granted by his death and resurrection. A richness that we see little bits of now and that we'll see in fulfillment when Christ comes back, never doubt, never question whether or not you're a rich man, because you are in Jesus. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the riches that you pour out so freely and graciously, and we pray that you would shape our hearts to share those riches with one another and with all those that you bring into our life whether it's intangible things like grace and mercy and forgiveness or whether it's tangible things that you have poured into our life to be able to bless others with, to take care of our neighbor. We pray that you keep our hearts and eyes focused on you and how you have loved us and sent us to love others. Be with us this day and every day until we are with you in eternity. Through your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.